Hey everyone, this is Ben. If you're into video games or esports, I'd be very grateful if you have a chance to tune in to the Esports Business Podcast. It's another show I host that discusses the business and economics of the rapidly growing esports industry. We have guests ranging from pro players and former pro players to analysts to high-level esports agents. It makes for some really fun discussion. The tone of the show is similar to this one, and you can find it on iTunes or Podbean. Thanks again for listening to the Maze Mastercast. Howdy, welcome to May's Mastercast. I'm Shannon Deer, the Assistant Dean for Graduate Programs, here with your super host, Ben Wiggins. Hello, Shannon. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How was your weekend? It was good. Yeah. Happy birthday to Maddie. Happy birthday to Maddie. Yes. And also, the blinds are down, but my guess is it's a beautiful day in Aggieland. It really is. (laughs) And yesterday was like in the 80s. Yeah. It was very nice. All right. Today on the show, we have a Tim Douglas, who is the CEO of Fidelis, which is a full service creative agency. And Tim is meaningful to Maze because one of our current students, Travis Black, introduced us to Tim. Mm-hmm. And he was just someone in his network. And we were talking about doing some marketing stuff and said, hey, you should meet Tim. Tim came in and told us a little bit about what a full service agency does, which was really enlightening to a group run by a finance professor and accounting professor because Dr. Mahajan and I don't really have a background in marketing. So that was really, really helpful and has led us on this crazy path of finding a marketing firm and doing some exciting things here in graduate programs at Mays Business School. And then Tim is important to the world because he is just a very interesting and brilliant mind around branding. He tells it how it is. If you are not serving your customers, if you're not meeting their needs, he's going to let you know. And his agency has done some really cool and creative things here in town. He's also a philosophy major undergrad. So he brings a different and interesting perspective to business and marketing and the creative branding process. So I really enjoyed hearing Tim. Yes. A beautiful mind. Yeah. It, it was it was a fascinating discussion. It is a fascinating discussion. It's always a pleasure sort of getting into how the guest's mind works. Yeah. But this one was particularly fascinating sort of seeing his intellect and sort of just the specific, it's a very specific way in which he functions. And that's, I mean, that is the highest compliment. Yeah. And I think he knows himself very well. Yeah. And so he really capitalizes on the way that he operates and puts supports around him that he needs and frees himself up to do some great things. And it's really nice. Yes. Let's get into it. We welcome Tim Douglas to the show. How are you doing this morning? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Had a nice weekend. My wife's birthday was yesterday. Uh, Oh, congrats. Or happy birthday to her. Happy birthday. Indeed. We had a good time. Yeah. We'll get straight in. What is your favorite superpower? Okay, so back in the 80s, there was this TV show called Out of This World, and this girl had the ability to touch her two fingers together and stop time. Shannon's dancing in the background. Oh, uh, that's awesome. I thought it was the best. Okay. And that's the ability to stop time would be the best thing ever. What would you do with that? I would read a lot, I would nap a lot, and 
you know, in the middle of conversation, probably like this one, I would stop and think about what I was about to say. Right. I don't do enough of that. <laughs> okay. But I'm going to tell a story on you. You mentioned that you wrote down your answers beforehand. Yeah. Is that mm-hmm. something that you often do when you're like, do you, do you get a lot of help from writing things down if you have to say them out loud later? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, we, we, I mean, everything from an elevator pitch or to the next meeting I'm about to have, I'd I tend to do my homework a lot. Now, is that helpful because it's a visual process or is that helpful because it's a kinesthetic process? Like, do Oh, you... good question. Man, I think it's helpful just because there's so many directions that conversation can go. Yeah. And being able to pregame or being able to like see what you're about to say. Mm-hmm. So I guess visual. I okay. mean, I hadn't ever really thought about it. I just kind of have always done it. Right. Yeah there's something kind of amazing about just thinking through it first. Speaking of visual process, when my wife, as we mentioned uh, earlier, when she tells me about something, I say, mm-hmm. text it to me. And she says, I'm telling you about oh, it. Yeah. I said, no, it'll, it'll help me to see oh, it. Same. I will remember it better if I can see it. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Uh, but I'm also a kinesthetic learner. So sometimes if I do it, then mm-hmm. I don't actually have to see it. Mm-hmm. But what you're getting is both. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, there's, there is something really healthy about like, you know, writing the angry letter and never sending it. (laughs) It's kind of also that like you work things out, you know? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. So man, I don't know both for sure. Yeah. Like I, I guess I go in and out. There's been times where like, I guess when I was in college, it was mostly about visual. It wasn't really about the doing, Mm -hmm. but I think maybe as I get older, it's the exercise of it. Right. Yeah. We're going to steal a few questions from a previous guest, Mike Alexander. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas. Okay. Yeah. How many in your family? I have a, a big family. So there are three original brothers and... The OGs. The OGs. I call them the first bloods. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. like that term. When I was about 17 or 18, we uh, adopted... She's older than me, so she was probably about 20. It wasn't a legal adoption, but she took our last name. Okay. So my sister Elizabeth, uh, we adopted. She was from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Yeah. And she's brilliant. She knows six languages, and she married a doctor who's a surgeon, and they live in Washington. She's a specialty nurse. She's amazing. I talk about this a little bit later, but my mother passed away when I was 18. My dad got remarried and had a, a daughter and then they adopted a daughter. So altogether, there's six of us. Okay. Uh, but there's three. First bloods. OGs, yeah. Right. So, but no steps. So when your dad got married, she didn't come in with any kids? Nope. Okay. No steps, halves. Interesting. Yeah. So my dad is 69 years old and he's got a uh, one 16-year-old and a 15-year-old, which... That's, that's a lot for a 69 year old man. How does, how does he handle it? Like, is he oh, my high dad, energy oh, or? That guy, he wakes up and his feet are running. Like he huh. is, he is the highest energy person I know. Absolutely. Okay. So he handles it well. What was your first job? The farm. My family owns a farm in South Texas, Douglas Farms Joint Ventures. Right. Uh, so I grew up mowing stalks, running a, running a tractor, doing the stuff nobody else wanted to do yeah cleaning off tractors in the morning and organizing nuts and bolts and sweating a lot yes yeah how much did you get paid for that 
when you were doing it as a job? Zero? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think they called that a sweat, sweat equity. Sweat uh, equity type of thing. I think there was something. So being the third son to go through this, the farm. Right. Uh, my oldest brother, he has some kind of funny jokes or some stories to tell about both of the older brothers' paychecks would go towards our private education. So they would work all summer in order to put me into school. <laughs> and so when it came my time to work on the farm, I don't know where that money went. It went back into just living life, I think. Hmm. Yeah. What about your first job outside? Paid. Outside of the family, yeah. I mowed lawns. I got paid for that. I uh, I worked in a specialty Porsche part shop. Uh, that was my like high school job. Let's talk about that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Performance auto cartel or auto group or something like that in Corpus. And they you worked for a cartel, right? Yeah. All right. That was only my second cartel. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the first one was first blood. <laughs> that's right. The first blood cartel. Uh, yeah, that was the Douglas, the Douglas cartel. Right. Um, that one, it was, just long hours alone. I got out of school at like two in the afternoon to go work this job till yeah. about seven at night. And yeah. you take an order form and you package and ship it. And it was like uh, shock absorbers and manifold covers and stuff like that. But for Porsches? For Porsches mainly, yeah. It was Porsche and like BMW. There was a sports car club in South Texas called the Coastal Bend. And my dad wanting to spend time and kind of like have a father-son project, you know, for like a couple hundred bucks, bought a gutted out Porsche. Yeah. It was a uh, 944, it was like 1982, 944. Oh, be still, my and it was heart. like, it was trash. And he like parked it and said, you can do whatever you want, just fix it, make it run. Okay. And I didn't know what I was doing, but there was this older guy that was like a family friend, right. uh, Peter Kendig. And he was like, all right, just start tearing it apart and we'll look at it. So right. I started tearing it apart and through those, that learning process and that education, I made connections with other guys. And there was this guy, I needed parts. So I went and talked to the guy who had the parts. And he was like, well, I need hands. So do you want to, you want to work for me during the school year? Right. And so, yeah, during the school year on Saturdays, we would go out and I would race, race this Porsche 944, which sounds way cooler than it was because it does I, I mean, sound way cooler it's, than it's not as cool when you realize I was like dead last every heat. <laughs> it was like not, it was, I was out there Sunday driving and these guys are flying by me, yeah. but it was a good experience. You know, it's, I think that was probably my first entry into like how to network. It was just, you respect each other's authority and you respect what they're good at. And then they, they will freely have conversations with you, even as a 17, 18 year old kid. Yeah. I thought you were going to say it was how they taught you karate. Like you have to, <laughs> it was, you have to put the shocks back on. They, they Miyagi'd me. Right. Yeah. Exactly. What was your greatest <laughs> challenge as a child? I talked earlier about, so my mom died when I was 17, about a month before my 18th birthday. That kind of shaped some stuff. That was, she died in a car accident and oh, there was so sorry. Uh, going into college. I mean, it was, it was a very long time ago. And so there was, we as a family have walked through a lot of healing over it. Sure. Um, but as far as like challenges growing up, 
that was the big, that was the big high water marker, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My parents were pretty awesome. They were very wise, very smart, and they were not very strict. They were very trusting and made clear guidelines about if you're, if you violate the trust, that's where it goes away. But you start with a lot of trust. And so that was always like, it was freeing, you know? And I got to watch my brothers grow up. So I knew a whole lot of what not to do. <laughs> Innocent until proven guilty. Right. right. <laughs> what did your parents do and how did that impact your work or career choices? So my dad's a pastor. He grew up on a farm, went to A&M, mm-hmm. got into the ministry, started a church in Corpus, yeah. Yorktown Baptist Church. What, what? Mm-hmm. And so growing up a PK, my Preacher's mom, kid for the listeners. Right. Sorry. I forget the lingo. My mom was a teacher, so she taught out in a farm school, Petronia, Texas, which is like the radius of where kids can come from is giant because they just, all these farmers' kids. Right. We like to joke that that PKs either end up in the pulpit or in jail. Like it's, <laughs> There's no gray area. But my dad was really good at letting that belief system form on its own time and its own way. Okay. Never thrusting us into it. Right. And also in that same way, not pushing us out or shaming us or anything like sure, that. Sure. And so we like to joke that while that's usually the case, my brother, well, okay. So one of my brothers does work at a church, so it's not, <laughs> it does hold true in some way, but my other brother, Mark and I are, we're in the marketplace right now. So that, that hasn't quite taken yet. Right. Yeah. And do you consider yourself a person of faith? Now? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I would say that that's bedrock. That that's kind of the thing you build everything else on because everything else gets shaken. Right. There's always something that's going to happen. Sure. So if you start tearing apart foundational things, you're, you're kind of SOL. Right. It's interesting because our generation, I assume we're somewhere roughly the same age. Our, I'm 103. I don't know. Right. I'm, I'm 112. Oh, good. So. Yeah, yeah. I I think our generation has kind of turned a jaded eye on religion in some ways. Um, Mm. But that hasn't been that as it turns out, that hasn't been my answer. And it sounds like it hasn't been your answer either. Like for us, as we built a business, Mm -hmm. that's often like a really lonely process. That's hard to just go straight from zero to try to get momentum. So for us, faith and faith community ended up being like pretty clutch, right? It was in what way? You know, as you're as you you're married, right? You mentioned your wife's birthday. Yes. So try to figure out how you would juggle being newly married, okay. learning how to talk to your wife right. as so I started the business with my wife. Oh. So trying to figure out how to talk just on a marriage level, now coupled with a business level. Right. Now coupled with oh crap, we're not making money. Yeah. Right. So there's just, sometimes it is true that the, the deck is stacked against you. It's just true. Right. That, that is how this world works sometimes. Yes. I'm not saying all the time. If you don't have things to fall back on or like people to push you forward, mm-hmm. one, you're not going to find your feet. And that's where I, I feel like bedrock becomes the issue. Right. Like you have to have something to stand on Yeah. or else you're just going to, crumble. And then secondly, it's good to stand on something, but if you don't have forward momentum and for us, we found a lot of that through 
the community around us. Quite honestly, I mean, I'm not sure that I'd be here without it. That's where it lands for me. I don't know about disenfranchisement. I don't know about, there is this really popular kind of push movement to tear up your faith and like tear it apart and analyze it. And I'm all for understanding what you believe, but I kind of approach it with a lot more trepidation, like Mm -hmm. a lot more, I don't want to tear out the things that are under my feet. And also I just don't have the goal to do it. (laughs) Like, man, I know that for my faith, I see about like this much and and you have your your hands together. I know. I know they're, I mean, I can kind of see through my fingers a little bit, right? right. but that's about as much as I see, you know, and I'm a fairly well-educated guy and I've, I've done some things in my life and going down that road where I'm like, so brazen, brazenly trying to pull apart things that have existed for centuries and centuries Hmm. is, uh, that just seems unwise to me. I don't know. Just seems a little risky. Interesting. Let me push back a little bit Mm -hmm. and say for constructs that have existed for thousands of years, Mm The cultural setting in which, for example, the the Bible's explanation of how the universe came to be. Sure. I look at that as a metaphor. Um, And some people don't. Some people take it literally six days. That's, you know, and the earth was, the the heavens, all of the rest of everything was created. Mm -hmm. That was half of it. And then earth was half of it. I think of it as a metaphor. Okay. Um, And the Bible's understanding of science on certain issues feels, as a person, as a Christian, Mm -hmm. feels a little incomplete to me in some places. Sure. And I think layering on some additional understanding of, you know, kind of empirical understanding of the world is actually, in my case, it's important to the process of my faith. I I don't think of it as a tearing apart. I think of it as a layering on. Gotcha. Okay. Does, Does that make sense? Sure. Sure, sure. Your website says you began in media production. Hmm. What got you excited to dive into that particular profession? A really cute girl. That's what got me into media. Go on. Yeah. So I was at A&M and I was studying uh, philosophy and I was heavy in my books and reading and writing. Mm -hmm. And this side gig of photography was like fun, right? So it was just like this thing. Digital cameras were coming out. My first digital camera was like HP, which they make printers. And now this one random camera. That's, and, that's uh, me too, by yeah, the way. Yeah. It was like the SD card could hold 12. And I was like, what? It's crazy. Yeah. And my roommate at the time was in a film development club at, uh, there was a, a chemistry professor at Blinn who had a box full of cameras and a box full of expired film. And he was for like a hundred bucks a semester. You could shoot and develop all that you wanted to. And they were using Bryan High School's dark room ah. and their chemical set. So it was like this cool, uh, there's like maybe 20 of us that did it and you could come and just pick up all of it. Huh. And he would critique your work and it was, it was just fun. But that was kind of how we started talking was about cameras and, uh, you know, what I'm get it. I think I'm going to get the Canon. I think I'm going to go Nikon, you know, all that. <laughs> so we talked, we knew each other for about five years before she moved to Brian hmm. and she threw a 
random set of circumstances ended up being my neighbor and she, it was maybe like a month of us hanging out as friends. Like I was trying to help her find a job and we were talking cameras, uh, a month in, uh, I was like, I think we should be dating. I like you. And she was like, I like you too. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I like you. And she was like, yeah, I knew what you meant. So <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> Uh, that was like our first conversation and, uh, it was a month later I asked her to marry me and it was three months later that we got married on New Uh Year's Eve. And then three months after that, newlyweds finishing up last semesters of school, it was, okay, what are we going to do for jobs? And I was working at a sign company laying vinyl and she was like, you know, we can make some money at this. Like we could people need what we do and we do it for fun. I was like, so like, but like, like 20 bucks, right? Like, I don't know how much people would pay for this. And she was like, no, no wedding photography. People pay money for wedding photography. Yeah. Not 20 bucks, not 20 bucks. Well, some people, but uh, right. true <laughs> uh, Craigslist, no offense to anyone who paid 20 bucks for their <laughs> wedding photography. But, uh, we gave it the summer. I was like, well, let's give it the summer and see if the, you know, if there's any hits on this, like let's put, couple hundred bucks on a wedding. Right. And we were like instantly filled up. She's a natural, like she has an, an eye for it. I'm the goofus that's always like trying to read the manual and work it out. Mm-hmm. But what I really loved was the business side of it. And through that, just through developing relationships, we started doing commercial work, started doing headshots and working for websites and started kind of filling up businesses needs. Yeah. Several years into it, I took a job at a production company and started learning like big boy contracts, like started learning what it was, was to take care of clients in bigger ways, bigger productions, bigger budgets, bigger everything. And the legal backside of that and how all of that plays together. So that was, I was there for about two years ish and came out of that and really started hitting the commercial world really heavily. Mm -hmm. And that's what sparked the transition from media production to the full service creative agency or? Well, kind of. So I was doing straight media. Uh, I was doing a lot of photography and there was a couple of key relationships that happened in that time. There was a co-working space in downtown Bryan called Binary Space. Mm -hmm. I had hired a videographer who was amazing. She was a producer over at Texags. And she wanted to get away from sports and wanted to start shooting anything that we were shooting. So my team started kind of building a little bit. It was more like a friend situation. Mm -hmm. But there was this guy who came and did a talk for Google. He was the local Google rep. And I was frustrated by our website. And I was reading this. I was reading this book called uh, Business Relationships or uh referral business or something like that. And and the argument of this book was that there is no such thing as business that doesn't come from referral. Mm. I get his point, but I think he's wrong. But anyways, I, uh, I tell this guy that I'm like, I don't believe in digital marketing. I think, I think you're full of hot air. And, uh, he laughed at me, which was probably the right reaction. And he was like, well, let me look at your website. So he looked at my website and it was completely coded poorly. I was, I was buried on page 18 Mm -hmm. and he was like, 
okay, this is kind of amazing that you have this much content, this much collateral, this much searchability, and you're on eight, page 18. Let me recode your website. He recoded my website, and inside of a month, I was like top of Google and was fielding phone calls like crazy. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to eat my words on this. <laughs> like his discovery in that process was that photography and like connecting with people actually mattered more than the keywords. Mm. And so he was like, uh, I need that for my clients that I have now. So we started kind of pairing up on some jobs and he started, I pulled him into, well, my clients need more websites. Like a lot of my world isn't getting shown anywhere. People will ask for work and not know what to do with it. So we started working on jobs together that started flushing out. So now we had photo video and web building. My brother at the time was working at, as a high school teacher, his side world was he hung out with graphic designers and they were doing branding on the side. They were just doing graphic assets. And as our enterprise was growing, I started seeing a need for what he was doing. And I was like, Hey, I think you got to get in on this. Like my client base needs what you're talking about. Yeah. So he kind of took a leap of faith. Uh, he had been there for a decade. He was a, he was a father of four. It was a big leap of faith. Yeah. So all of a sudden we had photo video, web building capabilities and a network of designers from that transition. That's where we started. I started finding frustrations with not having team in our shop, yep. but a you know, network of contractors is good and it makes sense financially, but you're not building culture. You're not building anything that will last a storm. Mm -hmm. Like you're building just the, the ability to build a team is kind of amazing. So we started adding all these services and started hiring people, started taking on bigger jobs and bigger jobs. And that's kind of the transition was, it was fast in my view, but it was, it was gradual. It was an on-ramp. Hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about, so where you are right now. Yeah. What is it that you do? If you were, if you were to tell us what, what's your elevator pitch since you mentioned that oh, yeah, yep. for Fidelis. Okay. So Fidelis creative agency is a full service creative agency. That means that we run on a 1950s gas station metaphor which if you were in the 1950s and you had a full service gas station, Johnny knew your car. Johnny knew everything about your car. He knew if you just needed gasoline or if you needed an oil change or an overhaul, Johnny knows, right? So we're looking for clients that are willing to let us into their world to be partners for 20 plus years. That's our end goal. Things we do, so we, we look at brand and concept. That is pretty foundational for businesses. We're able to translate that brand and concept into graphic design and into copy. Mm -hmm. We are able to take that copy and that graphic design and that very cohesive thought and place it into the internet. So we look at web design. Mm -hmm. Often web design needs collateral. So that's where media and video come in to play. I have metaphor relationships to a car for all four of those, but we don't have to get into it. <laughs> We were doing, once you sounded and looked great, we were doing get people to pay attention. That was marketing. But that blew up 
like really big and it was a lot. So we have actually started a second business called High Octane Marketing. It also runs on a auto theme, but high octane, high octane. So it's more looking at like a racetrack. So you have a team of scientists that'll work on a, on a car. What we're looking at is mixing fuel. So we want to find the most efficient, the most high burning fuel rate, the least, the least waste. And that high octane is all about long vision marketing. We want to figure out how to connect your client for a long time to your business. I love how rich and thorough the car metaphor is here. Ah, yes. Well, messaging is what we do. So right. yes, it, <laughs> that's it the sure practicing is. part. It sure is. What are your duties as CEO? I look at culture. I look at making sure that people are communicating well. I look at making sure that our process is clean. I spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time on process. I want to make sure that the transition for my client from trying to figure it out to in our system and running Mm -hmm. is really tight. We have a set of core values and part of that is I just want it to be very painless for clients. I mean, uh, there's this really great book, Managing the Professional Services Firm, and they look at it a broad sense, like lawyers and accountants and ad people. And But one of the things they say is really early in the book, they're like, make no mistake about it. Nobody wants to talk to you. Hmm. People don't want to engage. You might be really excited about your field, and that's good. You should be. But it is only because somebody feels a pain that they are compelled to talk to you. Hmm. You know, I, I go back to the E-Myth Revisited book where they use the sample of pie maker. If somebody is really good at making pies and they're trying to build a business on it, mm-hmm. they don't want to go talk to the advertising agency. They don't want to talk to a lawyer or to an accountant, but they're compelled to so that they can make pie. Right. And what they do want to talk about is one, pies. Yeah. And two, more broadly, themselves. Yes, absolutely. I do have a really fun industry. Like it's more fun to talk about your enterprise. I get people to talk about their enterprise. So it's not exactly like going to a lawyer where you're like, how do I, you're not, you're not fear-based in my world. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot more hopeful, but I'm under no illusion that people are like super pumped to struggle through their branding and their website and they have to do a lot of homework. (laughs) Yes. But at the same time, what you're really trying to distill is who are you? Yeah. What are you and what is the thing that you can give to people? And usually my experience is people are jazzed to talk about that. And then what you're doing really more than anything is shaping. Right. Right. Is is that? Absolutely. In our best moments, we really are a mirror. I mean, that's it. We're, we're looking at, I'm just telling you back in a clearer, cleaner way who you are. Right. And that's, that's often really fun. Well, and you're a mirror that like you get to choose when someone is ready to look in that mirror and what the right way to light them is to use a a photography angle and what the right way is, you know, what gels you want on the light. And, and then you turn the mirror around and say, look at this. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah. You're amazing. Yeah. Um, You get to be their best cheerleader. Absolutely. Right. right. Exactly. I could see how that would be very exciting. Yeah. 
Has there been a favorite moment or project where you've seen like the company or the service like kind of turn into a swan, so to speak? Yeah. So kind of to just even piggyback off of what you just said, like really this is kind of, this is my brother Mark's skill set, his gifting really. We're going to come back to him. Okay, cool. Well, he, he is really particularly gifted at being able to cut through the BS of what people think they're about and actually connect with who they are. Right. And so there's been a couple of moments where we're at, so we do a discovery process, but, but when we come back and say, okay, this is who we think you are. There's been some moments where it's been so life giving Mm -hmm. and this has probably happened, happened. It's kind of frequent, but there's, there's this kind of like blowback moment yeah, where people have actually started crying with us uh, because they're, they're like finally feeling like somebody gets it, that somebody could see them. And like the power of being seen yeah. is pretty amazing. No question. That's not my end game. I'm not trying to just see you. I'm actually trying to get everybody to see you. Right. Yeah. Right. That's the, in, in some way, that's like the apotheosis of the whole thing is when. Nice not only word. Can, yes. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, when not only can we see you, but right. we help everyone see you. Yeah. And when someone feels like all of a sudden the whole world can see them, that's magic. Oh, it's, it's genius. Yeah. And, and in, in its own way, it's, it's timeless. Right. Yes. So there's, you go back to the 1800s, you go back to before that people need to be seen. It's kind of this human yeah. element. Right. That's what I get to do. It's kind of amazing. Let's go back to... Oh, you're making me thankful about my own job. This is this is good. <laughs> I'm happy that it's happening. Yeah. Are there certain philosophies or techniques that influence your style of leadership? Yeah. So we have a pretty sweet company culture. And shout out to David Flint here at, at oh, Maze. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. Geez, that guy. Love that dude. He's amazing. Really early days. So I told you how... You know, I, I call it Fidelis 6.0 because <laughs> we're in like our sixth or millionth iteration. But <laughs> it was more of a congealing conglomeration of all these like people and their worlds. And early days, we were very disorganized. And one of our very first fuller expression clients was David Flint. And he was writing his book and he was trying to explain it to me over coffee. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm just not getting it. I don't know what, I am generally pretty thick. And uh, he was like, well, let me do, let me do this. Let me take you through it, you and your company. So we sat down for a, a day or a morning and it was me, it was uh, my wife, it was my brother, his wife, it was our videographer, it was digital marketing. Like all of us came at this one table and we V-reeled our business. We looked at the value and the rarity, the eroding factors, the enabling factors and the longevity. We looked at all of them and it was brilliant. It was so good. We need to play music under that, like a jingle, like some kind of jingle as you go through that. <laughs> it was so good. The The biggest turning point for me yeah. was we're talking about our value and and it's these at that point, our true real value was just that there was so much skill and relationship sitting at the table, and that was rare. Yeah. And uh, we got to eroding factors, and he and Joan Katana was there, and, and they said, this is just an observation. Y'all seem a little disorganized. They were very kind. Hmm. 
and they're like, uh, who calls the shots? If there's a disagreement, who ends up being right? And there was like this long pregnant pause at the table and like people kind of turned and looked at me and it was like my OS moment. I was like, oh man, I think I'm in charge of something yeah. and I'm responsible here. Yeah. And so I got to get on it. And mm -hmm. that was my homework was to organize the company. So I went back to, I, I did a lot of business classes at Mays. It's not official, but I just audited a lot of business classes. Yeah. And it's a good place to do it. It's a brilliant place to do it. So I went back to my tradition, traditional, like, okay, I'm going to do the pyramid. I'm going to have the CEO at the top and the C-suite in the middle and management and then doers, like the, you know, the usual business structure. And then? And I was having a hard time with it because, I mean, at what point, uh, Jason, the digital marketing guy, had been with me for a lot longer than my brother, but my brother had risked way more in his world. Right. And then this uh, videographer... She's brilliant and she's, she's got a lot of uh, value to her, but she's also not living here. She just got married. So it was like, it was like having to like parse people's lives out. I was really uncomfortable and I was reading a book. I wrote down the author's name, Gordon McKenzie, and he worked for Hallmark, which is the America's oldest creative agency. And it is, I, I believe it's publicly traded now. It's like this fantastic thing, but he, it's called uh, circling the hairball. And he talks about how like over time, all of these structures and all of these policies have built up and nobody ever retires policy. It's too risky. And so over time and being the oldest creative company, this, all these policies had, had congealed into this thing where it's really hard to be creative. Oh, right. And yeah. so this is a, key functionality of creative agency is to maintain creativity. You don't say. Right. I know it's nuanced. Right. <laughs> uh, so we're looking at, I'm looking at this and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to build that. I'm reading this book at the same time. So this is not my idea, but I ran with it. Yeah. He has at the back of it, he says, I, w I won't ever see this, but I want to see it. He had a small inspiration vision of a company. He said, I saw the pyramid and he said, the pyramid is, is essentially built to house death. That's the function of a pyramid. And at the top, you have one guy who sees the sun and he sees the air and he thrives. And at the bottom, you have the people who have the most pressure on top of them. They never see the sun. They never see the, the air. They never, they never live. And that thing doesn't move. And if there's any organic growth on it, that's actually harmful to the structure and the integrity. So you actually have to, to police the exterior to make sure there's no weeds growing on it. Mm. He said, but then I started thinking about what are things that are older than the pyramids? And the only thing that he hit on was uh, a forest is actually older than a pyramid and it's organic and it moves and it's structurally very sound. He said, so I started thinking about a tree. That's what forests are made up of is a bunch of trees. And at the bottom, you have a base. Yeah. Under the bottom towards the resources, you have the root structure. And at the very top, you have thousands of leaves that get to see the benefit of the air and the sun and the, the light. Okay. And that is actually how we have structured our business. Mm -hmm. So we see it as the 
the role of leadership is really functionally to provide structure, to provide security, and to funnel resources up to all of the things that make the tree grow. So what it sounds like you're doing is you are sort of inverting the pyramid. There's a little bit of an inversion. And it what it really is, is it's another reflection of what we've referred to on the show here as window mirror maturity. You are trying to empower and enable all the people that historically we would have thought of as at the bottom. Mm -hmm. My guess is if it goes really well, they get all the credit. Mm -hmm. And if it goes really badly, you take all the blame. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, there's, there's this kind of thing about maturing though. Like if you're growing in your job role, it actually feels like often it feels like a demotion because you're getting lower to the ground Mm -hmm. and you're turning less colorful. You're turning a little bit more gray, maybe. And you're not necessarily moving as quickly or flight flighty. Okay. You're actually more about other people. Right. And so when I started thinking about fatherhood, that's actually true. Like that makes sense. my life stopped being about me. It started being about a lot of other little people's. Right. Right. And so <laughs> right. when I think about maturity in a big sense, that is what, that's what's happening yeah. is I'm becoming a lot more stable and a lot more uh, like this. Right. I don't know what that is. You uh, go from a, like a little quick little destroyer yeah. to like a battleship and yeah. then eventually to like an aircraft carrier right. and you take and forever takes, to change direction. Yeah. You can't move as fast. Right. Let's shift gears. Please. Here at Maze, we've previously had discussions about building one's brand. We'd like to go through a variety of quick questions about brand building. Yeah, let's do it. What are some common mistakes clients make in brand building? What are they doing wrong? What aren't they doing? What should they stop doing? Well, I see this a lot in startup world, but you aren't your client. That's kind of the big one right. is I, I get that you're very excited about your enterprise or the thing that you're doing, hmm. but it's not necessarily what the world needs of you. So okay. kind of get let go of the ego. If you can accept that, then the next real big step is to know who your audience is. Yeah. So do your homework. Hmm. Yeah. How has this exercise changed in the last few years? What's different between 2019 and 2016? And obviously 2016 is totally different than 1995. But how have things changed? Like what's the bleeding edge of this? In a lot of ways, a lot of what I do is kind of plugging into the timeless nature of it. So Mm -hmm. there's not, I mean, communication and communication skills are... I mean, it's people. We're all people. There is no B2C. There's no B2B. It's people to people. Hmm. So in some ways, it's never changed. And in, uh, I will say to kind of go to what's changed in the last couple of years, I've seen uh, a really high fragmentation of audiences. Hmm. So rather than being able to put a commercial together and run it during Seinfeld, like, and hit your whole audience. Yeah succinctly right now through social media through facebook people are looking at their phones while their tv plays and so you have these pockets of little community that are interested in the one thing that they're interested in and you have a very small 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 window to touch that Mm -hmm. and so in our world we look at fragmentation and try to hit branding to each of those little audiences who you are hasn't changed, but where you're speaking has definitely changed. 
Let's move to rapid fire. What do you consider your most valuable failure? I've never been a very good employee. Yeah, I, uh, I've had really wonderful bosses and I've had really bad bosses and I've learned more from the bad bosses. Hmm. But I think I've done my job and done it well, but I tend to run my mouth whenever I see something else we could be doing. Yeah. And that's pretty often disruptive to the pyramid. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not good. Well, I mean, you you got to the top and then immediately disrupted the pyramid again. So, <laughs> so right. maybe maybe that was maybe that was an asset. What do you think is people's biggest misconception of you? I think as, you know, potential customers engage our agency, uh, yeah. I think they overcomplicate it a lot and think that it's going to the thing I hear the most is, "Oh, this is going to be expensive." Uh-huh. That's what people assume. Yeah. But I mean, one of the things we're, we're fond of saying is we don't lose clients based on price. Mm-hmm. Like we'll work with what you have and it's not painful. Like it's, it's a lot of fun, but I do still have that healthy respect for people don't want to be doing this. They want to bake the pie. Right. They want to bake the pie. If you could have anyone as a mentor for one day, who would it be? I have been so so blessed to have really awesome mentors. Like Good. I put a high value on mentor relationships. And so um, I've got a mentor right now who's just amazing. Mm-hmm. But I, I went with like, okay, well, historical figures, people who are dead. I actually started thinking about uh, Teddy Roosevelt Sr. The, that was his nickname, T-H-E-E, not Teddy. Right. I am, so I'm a dad and very uh, probably nervous about how I'm doing as a dad. I want to know men who have raised great men. That's what I would want to look at. So I found a quote. Please. Uh, I love quotes. Teddy Roosevelt said of his dad, my father, Theodore Roosevelt was the best man I ever knew. He combined strength and courage and gentleness, tenderness, and great unselfishness. He would not tolerate in us children selfishness or cruelty, idleness, cowardice, or untruthfulness. As we grew older, he made us understand that the same standard of a clean living was demanded of the boys as for the girls. That what was wrong in a woman could not be right in a man. With great love and patience and the most generous sympathy and consideration, he combined insistence on discipline. He never physically punished me but once but he was the only man of whom I was ever really afraid. I do not mean that it was a wrong fear for he was entirely just and we children adored him. I wanted, I'd I'd hang out with that guy. Yeah. I'll just let that sit for a second. Most important piece of business or career advice that our listeners might not have heard before. It's all about others. Yeah. The good kind of living often feels like dying you are and have to be about other people. What is your fondest memory of Texas A&M? Well, on campus, Dr. Austin in the philosophy department who has passed away, he modeled humility in a way that was very tangible. He would just sit for hours with anybody, no matter how ignorant we were. (laughs) And uh, fond memories off campus. I worked at Sweet Eugene's for a number of years. And those were like my people. Like I connected with people there. Matt and Aaron mowed our lawn. Word. Yeah. My dad told them not to start Sweet Eugene's. Oh, really? Yeah. He's he's an economist, whatever. Yeah. And obviously it was an outrageous success. <laughs> um, but he had took Matt aside. It was, yeah, it was Matt and said, don't do it. 
don't do it. You guys are going to lose your shirt over this. And he was so wrong. Did it anyways. He was so wrong. But he, he wanted to give them the best advice he knew how to give. That's often uh, the best advice. Yeah. Don't do this. <laughs> right. And then if you do, it, you, it sometimes plays out. Yeah, I won't say sometimes. always. Yeah, sometimes. Good bull. You have anyone you would like to send some good bull? Yeah. Good bull. There's two guys in town that I want to send some good bull to. So JJ Ramirez over at SOS Ministries. Mm-hmm. Man, that guy's doing incredible things. Like, uh, I think it's amazing. I, I don't think he knows me from Adam, but man, I observe his life and I'm like, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Also, the guys over at TXFW, Andrew Kilzer and them, they're just doing really cool work. So good bull to those guys. Yeah, good bull. We we uh, we like we like Andrew a lot. Yeah. And and we appreciate the whole crew over there. Thanks for your time, my friend. Man, thanks for having me. Yeah. This has been fun. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed the episode with Tim Douglas. We now have our Mastercast top three takeaways. I first want to point out that it's been only a few months that I knew that full service marketing agencies existed Mm -hmm. and that there are firms out there that really do everything that you don't have to go to someone to piecemeal a website and then social media and then your billboard. There is somebody that can give you creative advice across the whole spectrum. And one of the pieces that Fidelis does and other creative agencies do is really focus on the brand and understanding your business. And I love how he talked about being a partner with his clients and really understanding their business and what drives them. So that's our our first takeaway, which leads quickly into our second takeaway where he talked about how important it is for people to be seen. And he was talking about that in the context of understanding their business and what drives and motivates them. Mm-hmm. And I think that was touching to all of us in the room sure. uh, to hear him talk about that. So you want to expand on that a little bit more? A little bit. I think it was really, as you mentioned, it was touching to all of us. And I think we all in our mind's eye, I guess, saw the moment where someone feels like not only have are they being seen by the other person in the room or the other people in the room, but that person is now sort of like opening the window and saying, step forward and look out on the world and you feel like everyone can now see you. Mm-hmm. And the magic inherent in that moment is so profound. And to do that in a way that brings such clarity, I think sometimes when you're... You know, it's like editing your own paper or whatever, when you're so embedded in your own idea right. or the, the thing that you want to bring to market, it's hard to take that step back and make it really clear and concise to the consumer. Right. And for him to be able to say, I can boil it down so that people see you for what you're really trying to be right. is pretty beautiful. Well, and once you get the prism in exactly the right place, the light shines through and there's the rainbow. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. I want that. (laughs) (laughs) I need him for my personal branding. (laughs) Right. We, we, we all look for those kinds of moments, I think, because who doesn't want that? Absolutely. Who doesn't want to be understood and to be, to be appreciated for the core of who they are. Of course. Right. For our third takeaway, I loved that he talked about David Flint and mm-hmm. Joan Quintana, even though he didn't know they had been on the show. Right. Uh, but he talked, he talked about, about Andrew Kilzer. Too. He talked about Andrew Kilzer, too. So right. you can see our, our College Station network here for yep. sure uh, interacting. And Andrew, I would guess, is somewhat of a competitor uh, with 
with what Tim is doing and still there's a lot of love there. So, but yeah, so Joan and David and to hear that one, that Fidelis did marketing for David, but then two, that David used V-Rail to really help advance Fidelis was just a really cool full circle there. Yeah. I I was wondering if they like bartered. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We'll scratch your back. Yes. If you give us some business (laughs) consulting. Right, right. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for that entire series of discussions. Bunch of smart people. Oh, for sure. I'm sure it was so interesting. Absolutely. Just a shout out to Fidelis and some of the work that they've done. They've done marketing for a lot of great companies here in town. But one that I really loved is a video that they did for the Down Syndrome Association of Brazos Valley. And you have to watch this video. We'll put it on our website. It's so cute. Or you can just Google on YouTube Down Syndrome Association and Fidelis, and it'll come up. I think it's the third video on the list. And it was superhero themed and just awesome. Loved it. And then they've done Brazos Smoke, which is a barbecue tour here in town. And they go and and talk to all of the barbecue restaurants and owners. And it's just really a neat video. So enjoy some of the work that they've done for some of the clients around town. If you've eaten at Urban Table or Cafe Capri, those are some of their clients as well. Urban Table's like four blocks from our house. I'm have a, you been? I'm going to go bankrupt <laughs> eating at that place. I mean, not that it's expensive because it's not, but we have been once and I, I want to go there Love all it. the time. I haven't been yet. It's, it's really good. I'm down to try it. I know you won't be surprised, but it's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chef Tay is amazing. He's has great. lots of great restaurants here in town, so I'm sure Urban Table follows suit. Yep. You have a quote for us, Ben? I do. When nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stone cutter hammering away at the rock perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not that blow that did it, but all that had gone before. Jacob Reese, the Stonecutter's Credo. That's it's a popular saying in the San Antonio Spurs organization. I love that. And very apt for marketing in that it's not just that digital thing they clicked on that motivated them, but right. the billboard and the yeah. email and the other interactions. All so. that had gone before. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We would like to thank both of our marketing and production specialists, Julie Faulkner and Megan Barsinski, for all of their hard work behind the scenes and making our lives so much easier. And of course, our fantastic hosts, Ben Wiggins and Shannon Deer. I'm your producer, Kyle Ackerman, saying thank you, and we'll talk to you soon.